Hello, everyone. It's Rivalry Week. So I'm just going to get it out of the way now. Fight on. Beat the Bruins. Yes. Excellent. Uh, so just a little bit about myself. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Eric, as you may have guessed. Um, I graduated here in 2015 with a master's in bioengineering, and I work now in Santa Monica. And uh, I've been here ever since I graduated. Uh, I first came to Challenge as a sophomore, uh, became a Christian through Christian Challenge. And then uh, Neil hasn't been able to get rid of me yet, so I've <laughs> stuck around since then. Um, and yeah, just really grateful to, to still be a part of what, what you guys are all doing and what God is doing here um, on campus. So we're looking at written for our instruction, and that comes from 1 Corinthians 11.10, which you'll see up there on the screen. And that says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And, and this verse is talking about the people in the Old Testament. And the idea is those characters aren't just there for historical value or entertainment, but really they're there for us to learn something. God has preserved these stories throughout history for us to examine and, and learn something from their example. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, tonight we're looking at the story of Joseph. And Joseph's story is one all about circumstances. Now, I don't know about you, but for myself, I never really thought about how much circumstances affected my thinking and my actions until after college. So as I said, I work in Santa Monica, and I live on the east side of L.A. And as you well know, there's a lot of traffic between the west and the east. And I knew this going in when I accepted the job, and I thought, well, that's a circumstance I don't really want to face. So I developed the perfect plan to avoid traffic. And it was perfect. I see some skeptical faces. <laughs> I can guarantee you it was perfect. My plan was I would just go to work early. I would come in early in the morning and leave, leave early in the afternoon. And by doing that, I would miss all the traffic I came across. And so the first day of work comes, and the plan works. I get to Santa Monica in 30 minutes. It's probably a world, yes, thank you. It's probably a world record. Um, there's no cars on the road. It was absolutely glorious. And so I'm so excited to leave work that day, <laughs> because not because I didn't like my job, but because I just couldn't wait to zip home again. So 3.30 comes around, I pack up my computer, and I'm looking at all those suckers who are going to be there till 5, and I think to myself, well, see you later. Get into my car, every single light is green, everything is going great, and then I stop. Because you see, I get onto the freeway on-ramp, and there is traffic, and not just a little bit of traffic, quite a bit of traffic. And so for every weekday for the past three years, from 3.30 to 5, I've been stuck in traffic. Yeah, it's not the best situation. I found myself starting to think, as this was going on, like, uh, wow, uh, there's a lot of things that I kind of want to do with my time besides sitting in traffic. And other thoughts like, wow, my perfect plan totally failed. Um, this is not what I want, and this is not what I, where I want to be right now. Um, and really what it, what it became in my mind was that circumstance became an obstacle. It was an obstacle to the things that I wanted to do. Now, have any of you guys ever had a circumstance like that? Yeah? Well, I, I would imagine so. You know, we, we, we all have these circumstances in our lives, things that just get in the way of what we want for our lives. And, and what starts to happen is we become frustrated, we become angry. There's a lot of emotions that start building up for us if we keep thinking about them. Um, and so we do like any normal human being would want to do. We try to go around our circumstances, through our circumstances, anything we can do 
to try to get what we want. But here we run into a gigantic problem. You see, a lot of times we don't really have control over our circumstances. There's a lot of things I could have tried to move those cars. You know, I could have even stood on the hood of my car with a staff and tried to part the Red Sea of traffic. Um, you know, if you're desperate enough, you try a lot of weird things. Uh, but that wouldn't work because, you see, God is in control of our circumstances. And if he, if he wants you to be in a certain situation you're going to be in that situation. And so that means we have two options. One, we can either choose to continue trying to go around and through in any way we can think of to try to get the circumstances that we ourselves want for our lives and then keep running up against God's reality that he's in control and sometimes he just wants us to be in those circumstances. Or we can do the better thing. You see, God has given us control of our choices. And that's the one thing that we really can control in these circumstances. You know, and once we start focusing on our choices, once we start focusing on making sure that we do what is right in God's eyes, no matter what circumstance we are in, what we see is our circumstances, they really stop becoming obstacles to what we want. And what starts to happen is we start seeing these circumstances as opportunities. Because they're really opportunities for us to start to come alongside God in what he wants to do in our lives and all the great things that he wants to do as a part of that. And that's what the story of Joseph teaches us. So Joseph starts off in some very, very good circumstances. He is the son of a very wealthy landowner named Jacob. And not only is he Jacob's son, um, he's the favorite son of 12. Um, And to signify that, Jacob gives Joseph a coat of many colors. So Joseph starts off his life with favor, wealth, and, you know, an excellent wardrobe, everything that you could possibly want, Joseph has access to. And then what starts happening is Joseph starts having these dreams. And in the dreams, through a bunch of symbolism, um, he comes to the conclusion that eventually his parents and all of his family are eventually going to bow down to him. Now, again, those are very good circumstances. And I'm sure at that point in his life, Joseph was really excited about the prospects and what was going to happen. But the rest of his brothers were not as excited. Um, They did not want to bow down to Joseph, and so they decide to kill Joseph. Um, But then they figure, well, if we kill him, we can't get anything out of him, so they decide to sell him into slavery and make a couple bucks. Now, I think when when we look at stories in the Old Testament and we come across things like this, you know, Joseph getting sold into slavery, a lot of times we just think, oh, okay, that's, okay, that's interesting, let's move on. But stop for a minute and think about what that actually would have been like. First of all, these are your brothers. I mean, this is the only family you really have. These are the people who are supposed to have your back in everything, and they've just sold you for a couple of dollars. Then you're forced to march across the desert. Um, I'm sure it was pretty hot. Uh, I don't think they give slaves a lot of water and food, probably just enough to protect their investments. Uh, you arrive in Egypt. You don't know anyone. You have no value. You don't know the language. Essentially what happened is Joseph goes from being a somebody in this world to being an absolute nobody. No value, nothing. What would you have done in that circumstance? So I don't know about you, but for myself, I definitely would have started focusing on my circumstances. I definitely would have started thinking, wow, like this is really going to mess me up in the things I want to do. Let's take a look at what Joseph does. So we pick up in chapter 39 of Genesis, and it says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, 
And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him, who brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he became his overseer in his household and in charge of... Oh, sorry. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So you notice that Joseph probably has a very different reaction than most of us would have. Joseph realizes, you know, that God is, God is with him in this circumstance. God hasn't left him, and God still cares about the choices he makes. And so Joseph decides to make the God-honoring choices. Joseph decides to work really hard. And of course, as a slave, there would have been some expectation of work. Um, but Joseph, according to this, chooses to really go above that. I mean, we see eventually Joseph becomes in charge of pretty much everything in this household. And I want to point out that the Bible says he succeeded. Have you ever thought about what it would mean to succeed as a slave? That doesn't, really, that doesn't really make sense, right? Really what it's saying is that a successful slave is one that would not be sold. I mean, would Potiphar say, well, you, you've worked really hard. You can go free now. Of course not. Potiphar's never letting Joseph go. He's such a valuable asset. And Joseph chooses to work hard anyway. Essentially, what Joseph is doing here is he's dooming himself to, to a life of, of total slavery. But he does it anyway. You see, Joseph isn't focused on his circumstances here. He's not focused on what his choices will lead to. He's just focused on making the choice that is going to honor God. Now, I don't think I really would have reacted the same way. As the story goes on, uh, the Bible says that Joseph is pretty handsome. And uh, Potiphar's wife becomes attracted to Joseph and starts requesting to sleep with him. That's another interesting circumstance um, that Joseph again chooses to do the right thing. He says no. And as reward for that, uh, Potiphar's wife tells Potiphar that she was raped. And Potiphar, of course, believes her, and Joseph ends up in jail. So again, Joseph now has gone from somebody to nobody to even more of a nobody who's forgotten in prison. And this isn't a prison like American prisons with a yard and TV and all that kind of stuff. Think more like the pit in Batman. And Joseph is not Batman, so he can't do the Batman stuff to get out. You know, the prison was probably pretty dark. Um, I'm sure it was wet, and they don't have good toilet systems, a lot of food. Again, about as low as you can get. And again, what, what would you do in this situation? Let's take a look at what Joseph does. The story continues in verses 20 to 23. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Again, we see the word success. 
Now, to me, a successful prisoner is one who gets out of prison. But, but again, we see the same thing happening. Joseph takes on responsibility. He works hard. I mean, essentially, he's doing the guards' jobs for them, so why would the guards ever let him go? Once again, Joseph is dooming himself to a lifetime in this circumstance. And again, the reason he's able to do it is he knows God is with him. He knows God is trying to do something here, so he chooses, despite his circumstances, to do what God would want, to honor God with his choices. And, you know, I don't think Joseph is just some superhuman person who's like, ah, whatever, I'm in prison. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. You know, I'll just work really hard. I don't think he's thinking that. I'm sure he really wants to get out of prison, as any of us would. But he doesn't let those desires influence his choices at all. Instead, he chooses to do things that actually guarantee him that he'll never get out of there. As the story goes on, some of the prisoners start having these dreams. One is a cupbearer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and the other was his baker, and both of them have fallen out of favor with Pharaoh and find themselves in prison. And Joseph is able to interpret these dreams, and he tells them, well, to the cupbearer, eventually you're going to be restored. You're going to find favor again with Pharaoh, and you're going to end up back in his court. And to the baker, he says, you're going to die. And that's actually what happens. And so at this point, I think Joseph is probably seeing, this may be my way out, because I've demonstrated this power. This guy is going to be back in favor with the king. You know, maybe that could be my way out here. So he tells um, the cupbearer, when you get out, remember me. And the cupbearer says, you got it. And the next verse says, the cupbearer forgets him. (laughs) And he's there for two more years. Again, could you imagine just this situation, just... You think, oh, finally I'm going to get out. You're checking your watch. I don't think they had watches, but you're, 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 you're thinking about time, and hours go by, days, months, years. Nothing's happening. Well, eventually Pharaoh starts having dreams, and Pharaoh's dreams are so difficult to, to interpret that no one in the land can figure them out. And then the cupbearer's like, oh, yeah, there's this guy I met in prison two years ago. Um, maybe he can help. So they bring in Joseph. And Joseph's able to interpret the dream. And he tells Pharaoh, hey, um, a famine's coming. And it's totally going to wipe out Egypt and all the lands around. Unless you start storing up food right now. Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph's ability to, to interpret this dream that he makes Joseph second in command of all of Egypt. So again, Joseph, somebody, nobody, even a lower nobody. And now he's second in command of all of Egypt. And here, for me, is where the story of Joseph gets extremely challenging. I'm sure some of you are sitting here thinking, like, you know, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Focus on my choices, despite my circumstances. But I'm actually in pretty good circumstances. And I imagine most of you would say that. I mean, just think of where we live, the opportunities we have. I mean, we have, we're experiencing nothing like this. But you see, good circumstances in our lives can be really deceitful. Now, if we're in good circumstances, we can start thinking to ourselves, well, now I can do whatever I want. I have the life I want. I've gotten to where I need to go. The rest is easy from here. Well, that's just not true. And we see that in Joseph's life. Because you see, even in his good circumstances, Joseph still chooses to do the right thing. 
the thing that will really honor God. And Joseph passes the test of bad circumstances and his good circumstances. Because what happens is the famine does come. And it spreads. It spreads all across the land. And eventually, it gets to the place where Joseph's brothers live. And they're starving. And they hear that there's a lot of food in Egypt because the Egyptians were smart and stored up food like Joseph told them to do. So they end up in Egypt begging for food because they're going to die if they don't get it. And who's the one who's metering out the food? It's Joseph. So here's Joseph in the best possible circumstances with the people who betrayed him, his own brothers, begging at his feet. Joseph could have done anything he wanted. I mean, he could have said, oh, nice to see you guys. You guys are slaves now. He could have killed them and no one would have said a word. He had that much power and he was in that situation. Well, let's take a look at what he does. So Joseph tells them in Genesis 45, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, oh, the fireworks are going off. Thus says your son Joseph. I guess we're at the climax of the story. Thus says your son Joseph. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. So you see, Joseph not only forgives his brothers, he doesn't even only feed them. He actually brings them up. He decides, come live with me. I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. I mean, these are the very people who brought him to a nobody. And when they're nobodies, he brought them up to be somebodies. I mean, isn't that amazing? Would, would you have done that? Maybe I would have given them a couple loaves of bread or something, but, wow, Joseph is really not focused on his circumstances. He's not focused on all the power he has. Instead, he's focused on doing the thing that would please God. So you see, Joseph has a pattern in his life. Joseph has a pattern of his life of choosing to do the right thing, the right thing before God, regardless of the circumstances he finds himself in. Now, we too can develop a very similar pattern to this. Uh, We just have to make a couple choices. The first choice, we have to be content and not compare ourselves. Comparison is one of those things that really destroys us in life. Because we start thinking things like, wow, that person has a lot lighter of a class load. Um, No wonder they're doing so well in all their stuff. Like, man, if only I could be like that person. If only I can be in their circumstance. One of my favorite ones that I think a lot is, man, that person is much more extroverted than I am. They're going to have so much more success in sharing their faith. I wish, man, I wish God had put me in a situation where I could be super extroverted. Um, But think, what would have happened to Joseph if he had compared himself to others? (laughs) I think that's all. What would have happened? (laughs) We'll see. Um, (laughs) Yeah, these are uh, difficult circumstances, but I'm going to choose to keep talking. Um, (laughs) But no, think think for a minute. What what would have happened to Joseph if he had chosen to just compare himself? I mean, maybe he compares himself to his brothers, you know. Well, they're not slaves. I mean, that's a better situation than I'm in. Maybe he would have compared himself to the other slaves. Like, oh, they're working kind of at this level. I'll I'll just match what they're doing. 
You see, if Joseph compares himself to other people, he's not going to make the right choice that's honoring to God. He's not going to work as hard as he did. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, we often don't think of contentment as gain. It seems like the opposite of gain to us. Uh, but notice it says godliness with contentment. You see, what this is saying is that no matter what situation we're in, if we're content with just choosing what God wants us to do and focusing on our choices in that way, man, we're going to gain a lot because what we're going to do is we're going to start coming alongside with what God is actually doing and wanting to do through our circumstances. So you have to choose to be content. The next choice is you have to choose to act now. It's so easy for us to think things like, well, you know, I'll start taking God seriously when I'm out of school. I'll have more time. Uh, God's always going to be there. You know, I'll start a little later. Or things like, well, I'll be able to give a lot more when I, when I have a job. Um, but right now, you know, I'm a student. I need to focus on paying for some other things. Um, that's a very common thought. I think we've all probably had those thoughts at different times. But you see, God wants us to start doing things now in anticipation for the people he wants us to be later and the situations he wants us to be in later. Take a look at Luke 16.10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. You see, what this verse is saying is that if you're not doing the things God wants you to do now, you're not going to do them later. Don't fool yourself into thinking that. you got to start acting now. Again, let's look at Joseph's life. What would have happened if he had said while he was in prison, well, if I ever get out of here, then I'll start interpreting dreams or using my talents and stuff. Uh, he would still be in prison. You know, his life would not have ended up the way it did. So we have to choose to act now because if we choose to do the right things now in this circumstance that you're in, you're going to do it later in other circumstances too. So choose now. The next thing is you have to choose to endure. You know, the point of this talk is not to belittle hard circumstances. Um, they're hard, and there's a reason why they're hard. Um, and some things are just like that. But through that, we have to endure. And think of all the times Joseph could have given up in his story. You know, as he's walking across the desert to Egypt, if he just falls to his knees and gives up, they would have probably just killed him right there, and he could have ended it all. I mean, he could have given up when he was a slave. He could have given up in prison. He could have given up on his brothers when he forgave them, but instead he chose the other way. So we have to choose to endure. Take a look at Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You see, we get weary when we don't see fruit in our life. We get weary when we're doing the right things and we're just not seeing any result come of it. Again, Joseph had this opportunity. He's in prison for two extra years than he thought he would be. It would have been so easy for him to get weary. But look what it says. Look what God promises us. In due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Now, again, there's a conditional statement there, if we do not give up. So what we have to do is we have to just keep going despite our tough circumstances, and that is hard. But this verse can be an encouragement to us. God promises that good will come out of it. So choose to endure. 
And the final thing is we have to choose God's perspective. At the end of his life, near the end of his life, when Joseph is looking back on all the things that happened with him and his brothers, uh, he says this to them in Genesis 50, 20. Now, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See what Joseph is saying here? He's saying that, yeah, you, you, you were trying to hurt me, and you are trying to do me wrong there. But God had a bigger purpose for this circumstance that I was in. God knew everything that was going to happen, and God intended it to make a big impact. You know, if we really believe that God is indeed good, and I hope you believe that, because he is, if you really believe that God is good and that he orchestrates all the circumstances in our life for good, it's a lot easier to choose the right choices instead of focusing on the circumstances. You know, we can, we can really get through some tough things if we have faith that God is still there and that God is still trying to do good with that. Again, that's what Joseph did. You see all throughout all those passages, it always makes a point of mentioning God was with Joseph. And God is with every single one of us here in any circumstance we find ourselves in. So we have to decide to choose that perspective instead of you know, choosing to focus on the circumstances and all the difficulties we're facing. I want to leave us with a caution, though, because it is so easy to look at Joseph's story, to look at all this stuff and think, well, you know, if I just start developing this perspective, if, if I start choosing these choices and, and really focusing on my choices, eventually I'll be king of Egypt too. You know, all my circumstances that I want are going to happen, just like Joseph. I don't want you leaving with that impression because it is not true. Um, it'd be nice if it was true, but it's not. All we have to do is look at Paul's life. <laughs> you guys are laughing because you know what's coming. Just look at the life of Paul. You know, after Jesus, Paul is probably the most influential person who ever lived. I mean, we're all here as a result of the things that Paul did. And you find that as Paul is choosing to do these things, his circumstances just get worse and worse and worse. And I will let Paul describe it in 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Just once. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who's going to be on setup team this week? Uh, <laughs> important things to think about. Paul continues to do what he's doing despite of all this. This all didn't happen at once. It happened as over the course of his life, but he kept going. He kept choosing to do the right thing in God's eyes. And I think he has a very profound perspective on, uh, on circumstances in Philippians 4. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, verse 13 is probably one of the most famous verses of the Bible. But a lot of times when we hear that verse, we think achievement, personal achievement. You know, the first time I ever heard it, it was an Olympian winning a gold medal. And she, she mentioned this verse. A lot of times we can think, wow, Christ is strengthening me to do the things I want to do in my life. That's not what this verse is saying. If you look at what this verse is saying, it's talking about circumstances. It's talking about how whatever circumstance you find yourself in, good, bad, or ugly, God is not only with you, he has given you the strength to do what he wants. Again, it's not about arranging our circumstances to get what we want. It's about choosing the right thing, choosing to honor God and come alongside him with what he wants. He is giving us all the opportunity to glorify him. You see, Joseph's life wasn't successful because of the circumstances he ended up in. Neither was Paul's life successful because of his circumstances. Both of their lives mattered, and they mattered because of the choices they made. I really challenge us tonight to have a similar life. You know, it doesn't matter if you're enslaved in Egypt or ruling Egypt. It doesn't matter if you're beaten or shipwrecked. It doesn't matter if you're in Ochem. Uh, it doesn't. Don't, don't, don't let them trick you. Um, you know, every single person in this room, every single one of us, we all have been given an opportunity from God. We've all been given an opportunity to glorify him and come alongside him in what he is doing through our circumstances. The world may not always see that. And we may not always see that. But I'll tell you this. If we choose to focus on our choices and not our circumstances, you know, at the end of time when worldly circumstances are all gone and all that stuff comes to an end, we're all going to have something that lasts. Because you see, if we choose to focus on our choices and make that a daily pattern in our lives, you know, we, we can all live a life that is not just good based on our circumstances, but a life that is judged good by God. And that's just an amazing opportunity. So let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that you give us. That no matter what we face in this life, not only are you there, you're there for our good. And you're there to give us a chance to come alongside in the great story that you're writing in our lives and in the lives of everyone around us. So I pray tonight that we really choose to focus on our choices and not our circumstances. We would make those difficult decisions to do what you want, no matter the cost, no matter what it will lead to. And I pray that as you gave strength to Paul and as you gave strength to Joseph and as you gave strength to so many before us, you would give us the strength as you've promised in Philippians 4.13 that we can do that, Lord. So... Thank you so much for this opportunity, and thank you that you are good. We love you. We praise you forever. Amen.